Let me pray. Father, it's great to be with you in this place, with your body, with those who call themselves followers of Christ and may have come in here struggling to have joy. And so we want to finish this book, which is all about the insurgency of joy, the, the mainstay of joy in the life of the believer. For those of us who are struggling with that, we want your spirit to revive us. We want your spirit to show us what it means to be content in every circumstance to be generous even when we ourselves are in need. We ask God that you would provide uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts with the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to lift up uh, today our young people. They've been going back to school or will be going back to school here very soon. Uh, I pray for protection over them. I pray for your heart to guide them in truth and in the the spirit uh, of your mission and in the spirit of your strength. I pray that you would guide, uh, not only guide them, but you give them wisdom on how to um, look around them at, as a place where, where they're at, as a mission field. And I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. I wanted to uh, save one announcement <clears throat> for uh, right now as we begin our time. And uh, as I went through the book of Philippians and have studied it, and now we'll be finishing it in a sermon series... Uh, I kept coming back to, and I believe Scripture comes back to many times, that the, the thrust of the Scripture is about people worshiping and serving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they do that by being on mission. And in a couple weeks, uh, actually maybe several weeks, we're going to be starting a new mission at New City Church, and it's with our students, particularly our junior high and high school students, And we're going to have an informational meeting after our service today to talk about uh, how we are best to serve not only our young people, but how you as parents with young people in that phase of life, senior high, junior high students, how you can be uh, more involved in the mission of that particular people group um, than maybe you have been before. We're super excited about it, and we are because I've been praying for years for some leadership to come into place. And God, by His grace and, and uh, just miracle of His movement, has brought some leadership into place. And we're going to have a meeting about that afterwards today on how we can apply not only uh, the Bible, but specifically the book of Philippians to this particular uh, city or student city group that we're going to have an informational meeting about afterwards. So if you're in that phase of life uh, with children, we'd love for you to be a part of that. If you want to help serve junior high and high school students, uh, we would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, One of the words that we're going to look at here is revive. And when you're around young people, it revives your spirit. They're they're, uh, more, I would say, radical in terms of their, their passion for Christ than maybe you are. And to be around them is not only a service that you can provide, but it's also a joy to be around them. So please keep that in mind. We are finishing our series in Philippians today, and it started the book of Philippians, very theological. And this is how it starts. And this is for the first uh, couple of chapters of this. We can have joy because of Christ and his work on the cross and in our lives. It's a very theological statement. If you went to a seminary class and sat down under a particular seminary professor and he made that particular statement, that would be a theological statement. We can have joy because of Christ and his work on the cross and his work in our lives. What does his work do? 
Um, the, the reformers of old and even going back to Augustine would say this, that Christ's work on the cross regenerates the heart. It makes the heart new. It doesn't just make it new in terms of, of an understanding and relationship with God, but it actually gives you new thoughts, new motives, new behaviors out of the flow or out of the overflow of what God has done in your heart. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the work of Christ regenerates. The work of Christ sanctifies. That's the part that you and I, if you're a follower of Christ and you've entered into a relationship with him, he's made you new. He is now in the process of sanctifying you. And some of you are like me and I'm a stubborn Swede. Okay. A little stoic, a little stubborn. Sometimes that sanctification takes a little trip to the barn as my dad used to put it. Okay. Sometimes that sanctification is a wonderful experience. It's all wonderful, but it, it feels as if God is growing you. You can see it and understand it. And so there's this sanctification that's going on because of Christ, his work on the cross in our lives. And then <clears throat> the other part of Christ's work on the cross is he will glorify you. He will glorify you. So regenerate, sanctify, glorify he will make you new. He will bring you into his presence forever. He will bring you into the presence of the Father forever. And you will worship him over and over again forever and ever. And your joy that you have a glimpse of now through Christ will be made complete. So that, that's the start, I believe, of Philippians. It's a theological treatise of how Christ makes us new and gives us joy because of the work in our life. But it ends very practical. You look at the end of chapter 3 and on into chapter 4, it's talking mostly about what do joyful people do? How do they think? How do they act? And he talks about a few things, which is really important for the life of a believer. I would say that these things are vital to the health and vibrancy of your relationship with Christ. Number one, you are involved in discipleship. He uses the word imitate me. He talks about imitating himself as he follows Christ. But he tells us over and over again to follow the example of others who are following Jesus. So the life of a follower of Christ is discipleship. You might be being discipled by an influence that isn't a good one. And so Paul says, follow people that are following Christ and do what they do. Imitate their life. And it's not out of a sense of legalism like this makes you kind of the better person and you get, you know, the A plus and the star next to your name on the chart in heaven. Okay. What, what it is saying is if your life is to be full of joy, it will be a life of discipleship, imitation of others that are following Christ. It's the act of living, um, that's best done by following Jesus and following others who follow him. This is the word to remember koinonia. It's not in this passage, but it's used many times in scripture to describe the life of believer koinonia means fellowship relationship community discipleship that we're together in this thing very practical uh, flow here in the last couple of chapters of philippians not only are people involved in imitating others as they follow christ but they actually get along like christians can get along right it's amazing that god can heal your heart he can give you perspective of your sin, and he can also give you perspective on how to approach the sin of other people. And so people can get along. Uh, Yodia, Euodia, and Syntyche were examples of that. 
Um, that they were called by Paul to get along, not begrudgingly, but with hope. And it's a hope that we're all being reconciled to each other and being reconciled to Christ. It's part of being in a community. If you're a follower of Christ, I would say if you're not plugged in to a, a local church that is following Christ, you are not experiencing the full bi- uh, vibrancy of that relationship that you have with Jesus. The third practical thing that we looked at, that you can live in true peace and you can think a lot about Jesus. Remember last week he said, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, excellent. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Dwell on them. Very practical way to go about your daily life. You have true peace and you can think a lot about who Jesus is because he is all those things. Now, in describing this book, remember that the Philippians are not in good place, uh, in a good place. Neither is Paul. Circumstantially, Paul's in prison. The Philippians are being persecuted. But all of these things, it sounds like a pretty good way to live uh, to me. So, if this type of life is possible, and it is through Jesus, of course, what specifically could change in your heart today? What specifically could change in your heart today? Could you have an insurgency of joy that can't be repressed by anything the world has to throw at you? And Paul gives us a pretty good summary today of a people who are full of joy in spite of the stuff that life can throw at you. He talks about it first in verse 10. He says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul says that these folks have been revived. Revived. Revived equals made alive in some way again. Um, My left knee hurts like crazy. Okay, And it just started this year. And I would love for there to be some way to, you know, shoot something in there or give it a massage or take some sort of pill that would make my knee feel new again. Because this is what happens, I think, and it's a physical thing, but it's also a spiritual thing. As you get older in Christ, as you mature in Him, your vitality and your life in Christ begins to wane. And Paul says that joyful people get revived. Through the work of Christ on the cross, there is a making alive away in some way again in their lives. And in this circumstance, it is a revived concern for something very important. The mission of Paul. Can I speak to you? As we come into August and September, typically we see a lot of people come through our doors and visit us. And we love that. Thank you for being here again if you're a visitor. But sometimes you come and you don't hear what the mission of our churches and what we believe the mission of the universal church of Jesus Christ should be. The the mission of Paul was very simple. He wanted to follow Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded and Jesus would be with them to the end of the age And we were to baptize them and to teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So Paul drops everything he is doing. He sets out on this mission and plants maybe hundreds, we don't know, but at least dozens of churches throughout the known world of that day. And these Philippians 
because of the joy in their difficult circumstance, had a revival of awareness of the mission of Paul. Our mission, and think about this. Our mission is to be in a city, and by city I mean Denver, surrounding suburbs, that is three, maybe five percent evangelical Christian. Just think about that. If there's two and point seven whatever million people, if you include Boulder, we got to love Boulder, okay? It's part part of that whole metro Denver kind of area, okay? It's starting to connect. We got to include them. Um, we love Boulder. If you're listening on the podcast, uh, if there's two point seven. I can't do the math that quick in my head, but there's a lot of people who don't know Jesus. There's a lot of people who don't know Jesus. There's a lot of people confused about who Jesus is. There's a lot of people who have been burned by people who claim to know Jesus, who want nothing to do with him. There are a lot of people, if one person would simply go to them and explain to them very succinctly and simply what the gospel is, they would turn to Jesus Christ like that. There's a spectrum of people, some difficult, some just walking around never having heard the message. And Paul says, how will they hear unless we go to them? The Philippians were revived in understanding the mission of Paul because not only would their joy not be complete in this life, but in the life to come, they would be separated from Jesus forever. Now, let me say this. There is a lot of evil to be changed in our culture. I get it. I am so happy that people are passionate about seeing evil changed in our culture. I am right there with you. Some of the events of recent past in our culture are disgusting and despicable. I want those things to change. But it will never change without Jesus Christ making hearts new. Paul understood it and he sacrificed every other minute of his life for the cause, for the mission And these Philippians, for whatever reason, were one of the only, if not the only church that he was working with that had a revived concern for the mission of Paul. If there's one thing you take from today, and we got about 15 to 20 more minutes in in our time today, and I'm spending maybe too much time on this point, would you take away this point or, or, or this desire, this passion? Would you have a revived concern for the mission of Jesus Christ? In the city of Denver, where you're at, where you live. God brought you here maybe to go hike all 52 14ers. Praise God. God bless you. Maybe I'll catch up with you someday. He might have brought you here to, to enjoy his creation. We get, he brought you here, number one, to spread the gospel to people who don't know him. Just convinced of that. And that's what our mission as a church is. Now... The situation that Paul is talking about, the Philippians were most likely in some tough times, but they wanted to support Paul financially, but for whatever reason they couldn't. But when they had the chance, they put their money into something they knew was bigger than themselves. 
Now, the Bible talks a lot about money. Okay, so pastors, whether they like it or not, get to talk about money sometimes. Now, Jesus said it this way, and this is kind of a theme verse for me. When I start to white knuckle that last dollar bill, have you ever had that experience? I'm just going to white knuckle that last dollar bill, a piece of paper that isn't worth actually a dollar. Okay, it's probably worth, you know, two cents. But man, you can clutch that money. Oh, I got to hang on to this, Lord. If I don't hang on to this, my kingdom won't be built. And Jesus says, your kingdom is not my priority. My kingdom, Jesus' kingdom is the priority. And he says this in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So God doesn't talk about money in scripture to be the big, you know, bad guy in the sky who is constantly wanting your dollar bills. He doesn't need your dollar bills. He wants your heart. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. The Philippians apparently had a heart for the kingdom and the mission because they wanted to give and give generously. And Jesus says that joyful people are not storing for themselves treasure on this planet. They are storing for themselves treasure in heaven. You are not going to live very long. I know that's not a great thing to say if you're new to our church. Even if you live to 105, my Uncle Earl, I don't know how old he is, It's got to be over 105 by now. Like I keep seeing him at the reunions. He's always there. That's a short span compared to eternity, right? And so if it's a short span, even at 105, 110, where where are you storing your treasure, your time, your talent, your resources, financial and otherwise? I tell you this, it's reviving for me to consider that my resources are an investment in the eternal and not in the temporal. Like when I can easily say, I'm not going to worry about buying this material thing. I don't need that because if I will invest my money in this thing, there will be eternal consequences. Jesus' kingdom will be profited greatly by my investment. Others are greatly encouraged as well and rejoice. And the church that gives generously will be a joyful church. I think one of the reasons why our church seems to have, and this isn't me, actually you all are lifting me up, seem to be a happy, joyful church. There's some very generous folks here. Very generous. We're always surprised by how generous our church is. And I think it's because God is putting in their heart this desire to serve His kingdom, to invest in His kingdom. And I rejoice greatly. Paul rejoices greatly when he sees the church being generous. Now, in verse 11 through 13, Paul makes this point that joyful people are growing, that's a key word, in their contentment. Now, I say growing because I think a lot of people expect to just be content And when it doesn't happen right away, they're very discontent about that and they move on. But we are actually growing in our contentment. I can can verify a thousand percent I am growing in my contentment. Now, do I do I have I arrived? Absolutely not. I still gotta have that diesel suburban, even though I've got a perfectly fine Chevrolet Tahoe with two hundred thousand miles on it. Okay. 
There's things that I want. There's things that I overthink about and over-desire. And Paul says, whatever situation, his growth in contentment has come to the point that in all circumstances, prison, snake bites, getting beat up, he is content. He says that in Jesus, you can be content in whatever, any situation. So what is contentment? That's the question. Being content, if you look at the word in the original language, is twofold. It's being satisfied with what you have. Not just materially, but your place in life. Being satisfied there. And secondly, to be free from the want of more. Satisfied with what you have and free from the want of more. Now, it's tough again for me to say that I'm content in every situation. But there is a growing contentment. And as I begin to look over the hump of age 50, I am becoming more and more content because the stuff I thought would uh, make me happy at 20 has actually at times made me more miserable. Uh, You know, I see see even my own children who are now young adults, a couple of them. I got my youngest going into seventh grade, so even he is a young adult. Um, they, they have these same thing. And it's so interesting, right? That parents breed into their children the exact same, you know, sin issues for whatever reason that they, and, you know, I can see them say, man, if I only had this, boy, would I be happy. And I can hear myself when I was their age, say the exact same thing, man, when you get a little older, a little bit more wiser, hopefully by God's grace, a little bit more advanced in years, you look at all that stuff excluding the decent diesel suburban okay but you look at all that stuff and you realize it ain't it ain't gonna make you happy it's not going to fulfill you like the mission of god will and like jesus himself will fulfill you the fact that it is possible to be content in whatever situation is a great comfort to me i have a hope for it because we can see our contentment level Mostly in, in the financial world, you know, and, and we talk about, talked about some of that of who wants more. We all want more. But Paul says there is a secret to commit, uh, contentment, and it is this. Number one, learning. Learning. Applying theology to practice. Studying the ways of God in our lives. And then when you know how God works theologically, trust. Learn and trust. I could give you a thousand examples of times where I have been discontent. And discontentment really at its root is me shaking my fist at God. God, why have you put me in this situation? God, why won't you give me more of what I want? God, why is it that I don't have what I consider to be happiness and and the joy that I want based on the circumstances that I want. This is the answer. God has a plan. And it is a good plan for those who love Him. God has a plan and it is a good plan for those who love Him. I had a very difficult season in life I don't know, maybe uh, around a year or so ago. 
And at the root of it was me wanting more for me. That was at the root of this particular season that I went through. And praise God, it's been relatively short. But you know what the answer to my uh, 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 desire for more, even though, and not being content in every situation, in this particular situation, I was definitely not content. I had to wake up every day and say this, God has a plan and it is a good plan for those who love him. God has a plan and it is a good plan for those who love him. That is a theological principle that if rooted in your heart will allow you to be content in every situation. God has a plan in all things, even the most undesirable of circumstances. So then he says at the end of this section, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now that verse is on 17.5 million refrigerators across the Christian world. I quoted that verse in hopes that it would propel me to a state championship in wrestling. Fell just a couple points short. We do that, don't we? We take a verse. Boy, this one's good. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can fly like Superman. I can speak words and Bentley vehicles will arrive in my front porch driveway. (laughs) We do it all the time. Can I suggest to you and actually say to you that that is not the context of this particular section of Scripture. That is not the meaning of that verse. In the context of this section of Scripture, Paul can be content in all circumstances, including jail, including being bitten by snakes, including getting beat up. And he can, because of God's power, survive and do all things and have joy in them through him who strengthens me. A little bit different. It's not a plea for God to give me the power to make my life great. But if God has a plan... P word. Okay, I'm going to alliterate here. God has a plan. He has the power, P word, to execute His plan in your life. Question, do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? Paul was not a guy who went to so many Tony Robbins conferences that he had the ability to control his mind and say, I can be content in all circumstances. It wasn't something from within him. He trusted the God of the universe who had the power to execute the plan. Anybody is capable of that who knows Jesus Christ. This last section I'm going to summarize. It's a great section. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We read it at the beginning. But joyful people... This is fun for me, by the way. (laughs) Um, Joyful people share in... The trouble. You wouldn't think those two go together. Joyful people should share in the joy. Right? Joyful people share in the good things of life. Joyful people share in 
all of the great circumstances that happen to them and to other people. That's true. We can share in the joy of those things. Paul says, joyful people share in the trouble. Okay, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. But for us to share in the trouble just isn't human nature. We want to share in the good stuff. Okay, the, the Powerball or the Lotto, I don't know what it's called. It's a half a billion dollars. Half a billion dollars. I start rationalizing. You know how many churches I could plant with half a billion dollars? And then the Lord says, no. Okay. 500 plus million dollars. Do you know that most people who win the lottery, not all, but most, end up in greater financial difficulty after they win the lottery and blow it all than before they won? And you know what the, one of the main reasons is? A lot of people like to come around and be their best friends once they win the lottery. And you know, you win this lottery somewhere and all of a sudden you have a thousand best friends. And boy, do they love you. It's kind of like the uh, prodigal son that Jesus talks about. He goes off and as long as he has the cash, he's got a lot of friends. And most people, as I said, when they win the lottery, they end up in greater financial difficulty because people swoop in to get some freebies and then all of a sudden they are gone and those people disappear. They don't want to share in the trouble. They want to share in the good stuff. Paul says joyful people share in the trouble. And he talks about a couple different types of trouble in this section. What is trouble? Now think not of yourself in this, but think of another person that you know experiencing some of this as a follower of Christ. And are you sharing in that trouble with them? Number one, Paul talks about his own abandonment and isolation. Tell you what, man, I'm a pastor. I get to read books about Jesus and I get to prepare for sermons and I get to do some counseling and I get to meet with people. Um, Some of those are very good meetings and others, you know, eh. Um, But I get to do that. I'm in the world of being a pastor a lot of the time, right? And so I, I know that not a, a lot of other people are in that world. And this I do know, it's becoming increasingly difficult to follow Jesus Christ in our culture. Becoming increasingly difficult. And so you would think that a church who has read their Bible would say to each other, hey man, I know it's increasingly difficult and you feel abandoned, you feel isolated when you go to your workplace and you look around and like, there is no support here. For me, following Christ. When you look in your neighborhood, man, this is a hard place. No one is here with me. I'm kind of like, you know, the prophet who talks about being alone. And Jesus says, no, or God says, you're not alone. There are thousands that I have uh, with you and for you. But we can feel that. And you would think that a church who reads their Bible would say, hey, let's rally around together. Let's share in the trouble. And and a lot of times that happens in in this body of believers There are things happening I don't even know about where people are sharing in the trouble. And then there are times where I I experience or hear from a, a person that for years they have felt abandoned and isolated and in trouble. The Philippian church 
was the only church that would partner with Paul. And probably because a lot of people around that were calling themselves followers of Christ didn't want to be associated with those crazy evangelizing and discipling Christians. Second trouble that Christians experience, and it's in this passage, the path to fruitfulness is difficult. The path to fruitfulness is difficult. I've told you about my my amazing green thumb. I can just do the whole Jedi thing and plants spring up in our garden. We don't have a garden. I barely have grass. I grow weeds. And not the kind that you can make profit from. That's what I grow. You know why? Because it is difficult to plant a plant, fertilize it, water it, you know, pull the weeds around. It's like, that's the end. I'm done. Now, my wife, on the other hand, takes it upon herself to take my weed patch and create some semblance of a garden or plants that actually look like they're from this planet and not from, you know, the planet Mars. She has engaged herself in the difficult process of planting and seeing something grow. Fruitfulness is difficult. Fruitfulness in your life is difficult. Fruitfulness, the spread of the gospel so that others know Jesus and are discipled and grow up into Christ, that is difficult. The Philippians understood that, and because they were joyful, they were persistent in sharing in the difficulty of Paul's mission. They share in the trouble. Third thing that is trouble, that's difficult in the life of a church, day-to-day trust that God will meet our needs. Day-to-day trust that God will meet our needs. Has anybody woke up at that magical hour of 2.05 a.m. in the morning having a panic that if I lose my job, my family is going to starve? If I have a difficult situation where I'm unable to provide and something happens, I get sick or, or something happens where I can't work or whatever, the... the the life and vibrancy of my family will go straight to pot. I have those days and it's a lack of trust. And Jesus says it's a day-to-day trust. He doesn't want you to trust in your employer being an infinitely wise and wonderful person who will always employ you because that might not be the case. He wants you to trust in Him as the person who ultimately provides. And He promises it. Jesus' words are very clear on this. If He clothes the animals and the flowers of the field, He's going to take care of your needs. Day-to-day trust that God will meet our needs. The more I read Scripture, the more I see God's desire to see our deepening trust. It is the essence of worship. He wants this because it's the essence of worship. When we say we worship Jesus, really what we're talking about is an ever-deepening trust in His plan and the power to execute His plan. It's the essence of worship, but it's also where the joy 
that surpasses all understanding lies. A deepening trust in Jesus Christ. Paul ends this passage by saying that joyful people extend grace. He says at the end of this very uh, beautiful letter, amazing letter to the Philippians, grace be with your spirit. Grace be with your spirit. He extends grace to the Philippians. How do we extend grace? Ask yourself a couple things or think of a couple things on this one. Think of this. There but for the grace of God go I. People in trouble need people who will extend grace. Grace all the time isn't just saying, oh, it's going to be okay. And let me give you a hug. That's part of it. It's walking with that person in the trouble. It's moving with them through the trouble with the gospel, with God's word as the the fuel and truth source that is going to provide them the way to understand what God is doing, to move through what God is doing, and to move through that difficult circumstance in their life. Extending grace is saying, there but for the grace of God go I. And extending grace is this. It's a reconciling and restoring pursuit of people in trouble. Now, a lot of people might misunderstand what reconciliation is and what restoration is. Because Jesus doesn't hug everybody into the kingdom. Okay? Jesus died a bloody horrific death on a cross to reconcile us and to restore us back to the Father. And some folks who are in trouble need someone to come alongside them that says, man, I love you. There but for the grace of God, I would go. But I got to tell you, and this is extending grace, I got to tell you, you need the cross of Christ to make your heart new in this situation. You need a resurrection that only Jesus can provide. I wanted to end with a little commercial. And this is the commercial. I said it in the beginning of our time together. I'm going to end it. Our church is great at koinonia, fellowship. We could be greater still. This is the year for me that I want to see the fellowship. And by fellowship, I mean discipleship, grace, joy, mission, contentment, generosity. I want it to flourish in this people. I want to see it grow beyond the bounds that we can comprehend. Because I know if it does, you will be blessed and we will be a greater blessing. We're a blessing to the city, but we will be a greater blessing to this city. I think Paul, rightfully, might conclude his letter. If he was with them reading it, he would say, let's take communion together. Because none of this is possible without the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we come to the communion table, we remember Jesus' body broken, His blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, and for a new heart that only He can change that gives us contentment in whatever circumstance, gives us generosity. It grows us into a body of people who are so uh, enraptured and passionate about Christ 
that their whole mission changes. Their influence on the city becomes greater. People come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And good things are done in the name of Jesus for His glory. Come to the table today. Remember who fuels us. Remember who regenerates us, who sanctifies us, and who will one day glorify us. Let's pray. Jesus, you're a great king. Your death on the cross isn't something to be dour about. We can be serious about it. It is a sacred thing. We don't tread or treat it lightly. But we can also rejoice. We can be content in every circumstance because we will trust you to execute the plan that you have for us. I don't know what you have for us this year in the city of Denver and beyond, but I pray these people here would reflect on and understand and be revived in the passion for your mission for this place we live. We pray that thousands, if not millions of people would come to know Christ as a result of the mission of your church throughout the Denver area. All of the churches that love you, serve you, follow you, obey you. Empower us with your Holy Spirit and give us a joy that passes all understanding. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.